0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps, and I'm joined in the studio this evening by Chris Horton of the New York Times. Hi, Gavin. Thanks for having me. And on the telephone by freelance journalist Ralph Jennings. Hey, Gavin. Good to be back. Tonight we'll be discussing plans to make changes at the Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall, government irie over a district court ruling regarding the spreading of online rumours, good news for Taiwan-US ties, missing visitors and some banged-up Italian supercars. But we'll begin with African swine fever and stepped-up customs controls and increased fines as the government takes action to stop the virus from spreading to Taiwan from China and decimating the island's pig farming sector, which is worth an estimated 100 Fifty billion NT annually. President Tsai Ing-wen used an analogy saying we should protect our braised pork when urging China not to conceal any facts about the spread of African swine fever and to share real-time information about the outbreak with Taiwan. Now, Taiwan and China agreed in 2009 under the Cross-Strait Arrangement on Cooperation of Agricultural Product Quarantine and Inspection to provide each other with information related to such outbreaks, but the Mainland Affairs Council says that it's made three requests for chalks with China on possible measures to guard against ASF but has received no responses to any of those requests and Council Minister Chen Ming Tong also this week accused China of mismanaging and losing control of the outbreak. Now the Council of Agriculture has launched a centre for disaster prevention and response as it seeks to better coordinate pre-emptive measures against an ASF outbreak here and that held its first meeting on Tuesday and speaking after that meeting Premier William Lai said that pandemics should be treated as a combat situation and there should be no gaps in the prevention work. Meanwhile, fines for people caught illegally importing meat products have been increased to 200,000 NT for first-time offenders and to 1 million NT for repeat offenders. Now, apparently, according to reports, African swine fever has now spread to 22 provinces, cities and areas in China since the outbreak was first reported in August. So, Ralph, do you think the government's taking good action here or could it do more to prevent this swine fever from coming to Taiwan?
1: I can't see how any government could possibly do more given that swine swine fever isn't here, as far as we know. As you mentioned, they have to do something because of the, the pork industry, and China's not far off geographically, so they have to be concerned about that. Uh, they set up a disaster response center, which I always thought was reserved for things like typhoons and earthquakes and train wrecks and stuff like that, um, instead of disasters that happen. Occurred. Um, they've pressed China for answers, which they won't get. But it looks good politically to just go and do it. Um, I, if they can do more, I don't know what it would be.
2: Yeah, I, w- I would agree with Ralph. And you know, in terms of uh, making preparations that are like at, at typhoon levels, I, I think politically, if 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 it does arrive in Taiwan, this is another another thing that Tsai Ing-wen's detractors could could point at and say, look. Look at what uh, her "quote-unquote" mismanagement of the cross-strait relationship is is doing to us. You know, I'm sure I'm sure they'd be willing to cooperate a little bit more if she uh, acknowledged the 92 consensus, which is unlikely. So here we are.
0: Ralph, I mean, what about the people still bringing pork products in from China? I mean, the, a lot of them are claiming they're unaware of the laws. I think there's a
1: habit here. Right? The, uh, from what I can tell, the the uh, Customs and immigration laws, whatever they are, have always banned meat products and other food unless it's heavily processed from coming in through the borders, you know, i.e., the the airport in Taoyuan. Um and all of a sudden it's being enforced. We see fines of the of the nature that you just mentioned, um, but the policy's always been there, and I think perhaps frequent travelers are just used to taking in their beef jerky and whatever else they come in with and all of a sudden boom they're they're being fined by it which they just used to having the, the the little beagles and the customs people say ah fine just take it next time don't do it or whatever whatever used to take place and now it's just much more severe
2: yeah well it's it it definitely seems like uh enforcement is up uh the 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 little bit of travelling I've done recently, uh, I've, I've definitely noticed, you know, signs and, you know, I mean, they're, they're taking it quite seriously.
0: Right, and apparently uh, the Council of Agriculture says sausage products or meat products being brought into Taiwan by passengers from China especially or Macau and Hong Kong... Well, it's uncovered 20 cases of meat smuggling since this Tuesday when the fines were increased. And apparently six meat products from China have tested positive for the virus. And the total fines dished out so far to these unsuspecting passengers or naive passengers total 1.24 million NT$ tea so i mean ralph obviously they're concerned about these products getting in but of course you know if someone brings a product in eats it at home they're concerned about the garbage and where the waste goes because of course lots of the food waste goes to pig farms mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: i believe the the food that the pigs eat is heavily processed before it actually gets fed to any pig <clears throat> in other words it's uh, it's boiled it's treated it's boiled again and then the pigs receive it in some form that's not even recognizable compared to the original Perhaps there's something more they can do, but, again, I don't know what it would be.
0: Right. And, Chris, apparently, of course, lawmakers this week called on the Civil Aeronautics Administration to ban in-flight meals from containing pork on all flights from countries where African swine fever has been reported. I mean, you see airlines going, OK, we won't be serving pork on flights to Taiwan. Um, and-
2: I guess I could... I mean, that, that would be their, their individual choice, I, I suppose, unless the government, uh, you know, demanded that... that happen uh, that that seems uh, that seems pretty extreme but uh, but I guess you know they they're they're very uh, um, focused on stopping this from preventing this from happening
0: right and what do you think the public reaction would be if swine fever did come here
2: well yeah I mean it would be it would be a great opportunity for for people who uh, who are critical of the administration to uh, to take another shot uh, you know it would uh, it, it would it would not look good for the Tsai administration. And, you know, they've got 13 months until the next election, assuming that she's the DPP candidate. And, uh, you know, any any crisis in between now and then is, is going to be just another another um, obstacle to uh, to reelection.
0: Which is probably why they're taking all this effort, I take it. Yeah. I, I would assume so. Right.
2: Or and what, at least part of it.
0: I mean, do you see, China, like Ralph said, he doesn't see China coming forward and adhering to the 2009 agreement. Do you see that happening?
2: I, I'm totally in agreement with Ralph that <laughs> it's not going to happen. There's no way.
0: Right, moving on, and the Transitional Justice Commission this week called for the discontinuance of the military honour guard at the Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall, saying that as currently it stands, the complex remains a symbol of Taiwan's authoritarian past. Now, according to Acting Commission Chair Yang Sui, removal of the honour guard will help promote social communication and show that Taiwan attaches importance to human rights and democratic values. Yang also says that the scrapping of the honour guard should be part of a wider revision of the way the complex is managed. Managed And it should instead host permanent exhibitions highlighting human rights and democracy. Now, the commission proposed five guidelines for the transformation of the popular tourist attraction in Taipei, basically. And they include removing statues of Chiang Kai-shek, highlighting evidence of authoritarian rule and the people's opposition to such rule, and undertaking research and education-related matters concerning human rights, democracy and the rule of law. So, there you go. They're going to take the honour guard away from CKS, Chris.
2: Well, and it sounds like they want to take the statue away as well. Uh, and I, I remember at the begin- earlier this year, we were uh, this, this something. Um, there was the, I was on the show and we discussed this, and it, you know I, I said, you know maybe it's possible the statue won't be won't be there at the end of the year. And you said there's no way it won't be, and you ended up being right. But uh, next year, you know maybe maybe it'll be gone, and it'll be it'll be interesting if if they do remove the statue and if they do turn it into a uh, a museum or a display, for, uh, you know, highlighting human rights and uh, rule of law and democracy, will people, you know, will will it be as much of a tourist draw? I I, I don't know. I, I think big statues of people like Chen Kai-shek attract more people, you know, the honor guard, that whole thing. It's going to be a bit more appealing to the average tourist than um, human rights and democracy and rule of law. But I, I may be wrong.
1: I tend to agree the statue as it is. You know as much reviled as the guy the man behind the statue may be the fact that it's there is a draw for tourists. um if I were the you know president for days that were, I would pair the two, keep the statue, keep the honor guard, and then put up some signage and exhibits and whatnot that explain what he did and why modern Taiwanese are not happy with his legacy and let let everybody just see the whole the whole bit uh, make sure that the tourists keep coming in. But my understanding of this you know, this gradual um removal of of Jiang effigies and other other uh signs of his past is kind of an easy way for the party in power to get tough on the KMT, to get tough on China, to do something that's certainly not unpopular with the public, uh and without a whole lot of controversy either.
0: Do I mean, you think there'd be a public backlash, Chris, if they took if they took the statue away and banned the honour guard? Would the public you think they'd back the government, or do you think there'd be a bit of an outcry?
2: Well, you know, the, certain segments of of the the population would uh, would be upset, and others would be would be very happy. Uh, the the people who would be upset would tend to be uh, KMT base, and um, you know, as this last lo- as the last local elections show, you know, I I, I think what. When uh, Tsai Ing-wen's government took on uh, the pension reform, they they mobilized the, the KMT base, and they didn't really do anything to mobilize their own base going into into the election. You know, they they didn't do anything. They didn't move on um, same sex marriage and other issues. So, if if Tsai wants to uh, you know do well in the next election, sure. If you're going to do things that are going to um, upset the uh, the kmt base uh, and score points with your own that's you know sure but like you also need to do things you need to push on the things that your base is clamoring for and i think de-changification as, as china calls it that's you know that 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 plays well to the base but will it will it energize them will it mobilize them you know in, in 12 13 months from now
0: ron raff of course chris mentioned tourism do you think that cks memorial hall will lose masses of tourists if it does remove these things
1: Uh, You'd probably lose some, I don't know if masses would go away because you still have the plaza, the location is in central Taipei, a lot of people are going to go there anyway because it's already in your guidebook and your tour bus is going to stop there anyway. So it would be a different experience um, but perhaps some solo travellers who are aware of the removal would decide not to bother with it and go somewhere else.
0: And of course where would they move it to? It's a very big statue. It would be two. well.
1: There's that place in Talia and where all the other busts and statues are hanging out in this park along the mountainside.
2: So it could be good for tourism there. But yeah, I agree with Ralph. Uh, you know, the the general uh, Freedom Freedom Plaza, that whole area is very, you know, it's it's very uh, selfieable or Instagrammable, You know, with or without the statue. So it'll it'll just I I think I think it'll change the experience a bit. But I don't see
0: it damaging things too much in terms of
2: uh, tourist numbers.
0: Right, and of course the Transitional Commission also this week said it could look at re-desi- redesigning rather the island's currency, which bears the image of Chiang Kai-shek, and says it will submit a formal request to the central bank to assess whether to redesign the $200 banknote and the $1 and $5 coins. And also there's older versions of the $10 coin that bear Zhang's image at the moment. So could, could you, do you believe we could see our currency change?
2: Well, uh, yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna get rid of uh, Chiang Kai-shek's image in in public spaces uh money's definitely a very public space where where he's uh he's highly visible so yeah it would it would make sense if if you're gonna go if you're gonna go for it
1: again it sounds symbolic it sounds feasible something you can do anyway when you remit money and you have to choose an image low cost something that um can handily be done. you said the two hundred. Yeah, the two hundred bills, the, how, how many of those are out there anyway? So not
0: a lot, because how, I, I rarely get any.
1: They must be in somebody else's pocket then.
0: Yeah, they're the green ones.
1: Yeah, anyway, so it seems like it's, it's one of these easy, not too controversial, low value things that you can try to do without really shaking up the public or costing a lot of money for the government. So, yeah, go ahead.
0: Right. Would you like to see his image removed, Chris, or do you think the image is fine as it is?
2: I would like to see whatever Taiwanese people are happy with.
0: <laughs> Neutral it's, point it's, it's not my country. <laughs> hey, you could have Donald Trump on your currency soon.
2: Well, we don't you, want to get into you that. You don't want to go in, no. <laughs>
0: And Foreign Minister Joseph Wu this week said that his office will seek further legal recourse after the Nanto District Court rejected a request to fine a college student for spreading a rumour that was followed by the suicide of a Taiwanese diplomat in Japan. Now, the college student was accused of spreading online rumours in September, in which he claimed that Taiwan nationals were left stranded at Kansai International Airport in Japan after chi- Typhoon Jebi, while the Chinese embassy there sent 15 tour buses to evacuate its citizens. Now, The PTT post sparked harsh criticism of Taiwan's envoy to Japan, Frank Sher, with netizens saying that he was not doing his job properly. Now, as the head of the Taiwan office in Osaka, however, which has jurisdiction over the Kansai area, Su chi chung was found dead at his residence on September 14th after committing suicide, allegedly linked to public criticism of his office. But it was later proven China did not send any buses to the airport and the claims made on the PTT post were, in fact, a load of rubbish. Now, the foreign minister told reporters that his office found the court ruling regrettable and unacceptable, and he said that it sends a message that people who spread such rumours will not be held accountable. The Nanto court, though, said that police failed to present enough evidence to prove that the student violated Article 63 of the Social Order Maintenance Act, and that act prohibits spreading rumours in a way that is sufficient to undermine public order and peace, and it allows a penalty of either three days in the big house or a fine of 30,000 NT. So, fake news there, Chris, I mean, and the family this week, of course, in fact, yesterday the family came out because the China Times had it on the front page of today's copy of their newspaper. The family came out and accused the government of using fake news, forcibly using fake news and tying it in to the man's, to Su Chi Chung's death. Uh,
2: well, I, I didn't know about the latter, but uh, in terms of, you know, this this whole issue of, you know, are, should you be held accountable for, for spreading false information... You know, you're starting to get into some tricky First Amendment, well, what we would call First Amendment stuff in the United States, freedom of speech uh, issues, uh, where, you know, it's. I think if you're if you're fabricating it knowingly, uh, that's that's one thing. If you're spreading it and and you're unwittingly, um, you know, propagating uh, false information, that's that's another that's another kettle of fish. Um, I I think in general you know taiwan taiwanese are you know they have they have some of the f- free speech in asia um and they don't want to see it go backwards uh, even even though fake news disinformation whatever you want to call it can be uh, very damaging to society they're, they're, you have to have a balance between the right to be the right to be wrong uh publicly wrong and uh you know the the public the public the greater public good but uh, i think I think finding people I mean how many people shared that st- uh, shared that post you know i it, i I doubt it was just that that one student i mean you you know there were more than there was more than that one student that shared it, so I mean, should everybody be fined uh, then you know how do you enforce it it's It, it just it opens a, it opens a, a a can of worms that I, I don't think most people here want to see opened.
1: I tend to agree with that appraisal. Taiwan enjoys a high level of free speech. Taiwan also has a defamation law, and I believe that, accordingly, if somebody spreads false information and it can be proven that it hurts somebody or some legal entity, then the criminal, the police, basically, and the prosecutors can go after you for that. And I'm not sure why the government needs something else in the law to stop, to prevent the spread of whatever it calls fake news. Uh, perhaps defamation doesn't go as far as I think it does, and they really do need something else. I've also noticed that throughout um, East Asia, there's this trend of at least considering laws and so forth to stop what they call fake news, um, which is a bit of a, a misnomer because it often just needs stuff that's true that the governments don't like. Um, but to that extent, Taiwan may just be part of a bigger trend um, of governments in this area trying to get a little bit tougher on things they don't like, whatever they consider to be defamatory.
0: Right. I mean, Chris, this particular case when the, where the foreign minister has actually spoken out about it, do you think that could cause problems for the government? Because, I mean, that leaves more leeway for people to go, hey, the government is interfering with a district court ruling.
2: Um, well, you know, it's. Uh, I, I. I would say that... Minister Wu is probably free to comment, but uh, if you're talking about, like, applying direct pressure or, you know, it's it, – yeah, I mean, you you do – especially as foreign minister, you know, one of the things that Taiwan prides itself in is uh, rule of law and uh, an independent judiciary, which is, is still a, a fairly young independent judiciary. And, uh, uh, you know, doing any more than expressing um, disappointment with a ruling is – it's not gonna. It's not gonna look very good to uh, to other democracies and open societies.
1: Yeah, I, I would uh, I, again tend to agree. The fact that the government and the minister have said so much about it already convinces me that Taiwan is going to handle this ultimately in the old way, which is to simply take a report they don't like and they do what they call chungqing. They don't really correct it or go after you for it in a legal way. They just reverse propaganda they combat what you've said with just their own words until they feel like their voice is louder um if, if they were going to go about it in a more methodical legal way i think they would have just their lawyer would have said don't talk about it we're going to take this up in the, in the court system instead
0: Right now we have to take a short break now but we'll be right back after these important commercials Welcome back to Taiwan this week, and there was a bevy of Taiwan-related news from the U.S. The government on Tuesday extended its thanks to the U.S. Congress for passing the Asia Reassurance Initiative Act, which is aimed at enhancing American leadership in Asia and strengthening cooperation with regional partners, including Taiwan. Now, the bill seeks to enshrine a long-term strategic vision and comprehensive, multifaceted and principled U.S. policy for the Indo-Pacific region that includes checking China's growing influence. Now, Section 209 of the bill reiterates U.S. commitment to Taiwan and includes backing regular arms sales to the island, encouraging high-level U.S. officials to visit Taiwan, and also states that it's the policy of the U.S. to support close economic, political and security relationships and ties with Taiwan, in line with the Taiwan Relations Act and the Six Assurances. Now, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs described passage of the Act as a clear sign of continuing close ties between Taipei and Washington. Meanwhile, as if that wasn't enough, six U.S. senators wrote to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to express concern about China's alleged interference in Taiwan's recent local elections. Now, the lawmakers called on the Trump administration to assist Taiwan in conducting an investigation into those allegations and, if necessary, take action to prevent similar incidents from happening in future elections. Now, the letter was apparently initiated by the Republican Party's Foreign Affairs Committee's Asia-Pacific team and signed by well-known and long-time Taiwan-friendly Senators Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz. Now, according to the letter, Chinese interference in Taiwan's elections is deeply concerning, not only for Taiwan's future, but also for other democracies around the world, where Beijing may also choose to interfere. So, Ralph, two things there from the US. First of all, we had the um, the reassurance, the, the Reassurance Initiative Act, and then the letter from the senators. I mean, do you think anything will actually come of these, concrete or it's more bluster from people within the US government saying the Trump administration should do more to support Taiwan?
1: I think your question hits right on the real point, which is these two moves follow from a trend that we've seen perhaps since the beginning of the year and even earlier, where the US government is getting closer to Taiwan, at least um, in terms of statements and a few symbolic activities. Um, More than symbolic, but largely symbolic. And I think these two... Uh, initiatives that you mentioned, um, they have the, they—they really work so beautifully because there's no obligation to do anything. You don't have to sell arms, you don't have to allow a Taiwanese official to visit, you don't have to send anybody from Washington, but you could. Uh, the, it sounds good, it's the right kind of noise, um, but as you suggest, nothing really needs to happen. And in fact, when it comes down to deciding on an arms sale or a visit. Uh, or passing your aircraft carriers around the Pacific, or something like that, then the real decision is made simply uh, one on one by one, based on how things are going with China, uh, whatever else is going on in the states, and and um, external factors of the moment. Um,
2: I I generally agree with uh, Ralph. I th- I think there there is you know there's a big difference between what's going on now and what uh went on when uh, pr- uh president obama announced his pivot to asia you know that was that was some nice sounding talk with with not a whole lot of uh action backing it up and congress now um you know it's it's very divided uh on pretty much every issue except for china this uh you know the taiwan relations act or the taiwan travel act earlier uh, that was signed into law by President Trump earlier this year. It had uh, it passed unanimously in the House and the Senate. That's uh, th- you know that's pretty rare in, in Washington these days. And the uh, the six senators that, that signed the, the letter to uh, uh, Secretary of State Pompeo um, and also uh, who is it uh, Secretary Mnuchin and Chris Ray of the FBI and the Department of um, the Defense Dean Coates. Dinko. Intelligence. Yes, guy. yes, yes. The director yeah. Um so uh th- th- that was th- those six senators, half of them were Democrats. Um so it's it's not just R- Rubio and Cruz are 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 highly visible, but there are others. Democrats are fully on board. Congress has China in its sights and it's it's taking its own uh, you know, gradual measures to shift policy wherever possible. Um, you know. Not you know, they're they're not going to declare war on China or anything like that, but they are uh they are they are letting they are letting policymakers uh, know that you know China is a priority and you know the Ministry of uh, Justice actually just uh, j- it was um, yesterday I guess U uh, S time but they just uh, uh, they they released uh, an I think another indictment uh, the third tech related indictment I think it was a uh, it was about uh, cyber espionage uh, uh, that. China is allegedly conducting on uh, U.S. companies over the past several years, and so you have this—you uh, know—you have a, a, the legislative branch uh, and the judicial branch, and you know through his tariffs and and the so-called trade war, the executive branch all really pushing back against China. And you know, it, it's it's uh, it's these are not major moves that are being made, but uh, I think. Con- it, it's it's too early to say if they're purely symbolic, but it does feel like the mood uh, towards Beijing in, in Washington has soured basically on, on all fronts.
0: Right, and Ralph, of course, Ma Ying-jeou released his biography on Thursday of this week, the title of which is something along the lines of memoirs of being the head of state in Taiwan. Um, and, of course, during his press conference for that, he was rather sort of combative towards the Thai administration for its jumping up and down with glee every time America passes something that's pro Taiwan and he argue that Taiwan's government currently is playing along with the United States and Japan in its sort of anti China actions. Do you think this could come back and bite Taiwan, all these things that America's doing to put Taiwan at the center of its anti China actions?
1: I don't think it'll come back to bite Taiwan. I think the the leadership here is aware that A lot of the actions are uh, in some extent symbolic. A lot of them are aimed more at China than at Taiwan per se. And Taiwan is kind of just uh, stuck along the path somewhere between the U.S. getting something out of China. Um, And the government here hasn't really made any, any commitments to the U.S. that it can't get out of, just like the U.S. hasn't made any commitments to Taiwan that it can't get out of. So if things do get better... Between the U.S. and China, then all these um, letters and bills and things that have been sent and passed can be quickly uh, ignored. Um, and as far as I know, the uh, Taiwan administration hasn't really done anything that could be, that really could be biteable. Um, there's nothing really you could you could get at and say, well, now that Sino-U.S. relations are better, we're going to scrap this thing we do with Taiwan. Um, even yeah. when, when relations between the U.S. and China are good, Taiwan gets arms sales. There's been a, a, a rising trend of senior-level visits from Washington to Taiwan since somewhere in the middle of the Ma administration. So, a lot of these things are just going to happen anyway.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm one thing. Another, another bit of recent news. <laughs> yesterday was a big day in the states. Evidently. Uh, uh, Defense Secretary Mattis uh, resigned, and uh, you know who replaces him? That that's going to be an interesting question because it seemed like Mattis was very, you know, non not not terribly confrontational towards China, but also you know, at the um, Shangri La Dialogue in uh, in Singapore earlier this year, he 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 specifically mentioned Taiwan as being part of the American uh, you know free and open Indo Pacific strategy. And I'll be—I mean, everybody's going to be looking at who his successor is and how how they approach Taiwan uh, and and China in general.
0: And we shall wait to see who that is. A February, apparently, that's going to happen.
2: Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Wait, wait and see. It's 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 uh, it's it's like uh, rea- be, reality TV.
0: It'll be tweeted. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving on, and the government's new southbound policy and the relaxation of entry visa regulations has come under scrutiny this week, that after the Legislative Budget Center reported that some 2,000 people from countries in Southeast Asia, South Asia and Oceania who entered Taiwan on visa-free status between August the 1st, 2016 and March 31st of this year are now unaccounted for. Now, citing data from the National Audit Office, the center says that of March the 31st, 1,900 46 people who had overstayed their visas remain in Taiwan illegally. Now according to the Centre there are no exit records for those visitors who come from 18 countries listed in the government's new Southbound policy and their whereabouts is well it's unknown. Officials also say that 1,441 visitors from the 10 Southeast Asian countries covered by the policy as well as Australia, New Zealand, India and other South Asian countries were found to have used the documentation of another person to remain in Taiwan, while 606 were found to be working illegally here. Now, the centre is now calling on the government to re-evaluate the impact of its visa regulations on Taiwan's tourism and security, saying the results should be used to reference any moves to, well, maintain the visa-free policies or scrap them for certain countries. So, Chris, obviously people overstay visas everywhere in the world. Do you think the government, this this legislative budget centre, is sort of overreacting somewhat to Two thousand people overstaying their visas.
2: Well, I, you know, if if you're going to be drafting new new policies towards immigration uh, or you know uh, visa policy, uh, it's it's worth it's totally fine to to note how many people are overstaying. You know, that doesn't sound like a very large number of people to me. Um, I, I think it's uh, you know it, it's much much higher in other countries of, well, it's definitely. Higher and bigger countries. Uh, the thing is, uh, you know, are are you know, are these people? Is is this a problem? And uh, there's, you know, obviously, you want everyone to abide by the law, but it's not going to happen in 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 any country, uh, you know, a hundred percent. I, you know, this is another one of those things that's potentially fodder for people who want to criticize the new southbound policy and uh, the Thai administration you know if if you made it easier for chinese people to come over would there be you know only 2000 people there might be more you know that are overstaying their visas and you know maybe maybe some of them would be you know rather than doing illegal work they'd be um you know touring uh sensitive areas and who, who knows what you know uh, but it's 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 just one of those things where it's it's it can be politicized by by either side but it it definitely uh has more value to uh, to the blue side, I would say.
1: I think the visa policies that we're talking about are quite young. Um, the the yeah. my impression is these countries, um, not long ago, didn't weren't allowed to come visa free, or the policies were a lot stricter. So, like with anything that's new, you have to give it a chance, and perhaps the immigration authorities here just simply need to redo it, make the oversight a little stricter. Um, perhaps roll back a little bit, uh, require some people from those countries to provide more documentation before they can get in. And as Chris said, is it really a problem here? Probably not. A lot of these folks may be here working, uh, which they, and then if that's um, a lot of these, I I don't know, but I'm assuming they're from the, some of the poorer Southeast Asian countries. And then in that case, they would be doing work that the Taiwanese generally don't wish to do. So, is that a problem? Probably
2: not. Yeah, I I, I would, uh, you know, I, I don't know for sure either, but I, I would assume that anybody who's coming here and, you know, visa-free and overstaying so they can work is probably doing it uh, uh, more for, you know, for economic reasons than for, you know, anything nefarious. And it's probably work that uh, Taiwanese people in general are, are not going to be keen to do.
0: And before we go, it's the festive season for some, so we'll end on a caring note. That being public donations that have been flooding in for a 20-year-old delivery driver who crashed his van into four parked Ferraris this past weekend. Now, police in New Taipei's Shindian district say they've been inundated with phone calls from the public seeking to donate money to the young man after his story made the headlines. And the New Taipei Social Welfare Department has opened a special bank account just for members of the public who wish to make donations. Now the incident occurred early Sunday morning, around 5.45am, when a 20-year-old allegedly fell asleep at the wheel and crashed his van into the four Ferraris. They were parked on a road near the Dan Danlan suspension bridge in the city's Sheding district. There were no injuries, and police say the delivery driver had not been drinking. Now according to the Ferrari dealership in Taipei, where I've never been and probably never will go, the four Italian supercars are worth over 60 million NT, and the estimated cost to repair the damage is around 10 million NT. But the incident, of course, created a media frenzy due to the size of the repair bill and the fact that the delivery van driver, well, he comes from a single-parent family, and he, well, he had to drop out of college to help his mother, who runs a small Joss paper a store in New Taipei's Kung district. So, Chris, I mean, you know, guy crashes into Ferrari, he broke the law, technically, had an accident, but the public, it seems to be a public actually care about him more than the Ferraris.
2: Well I, I think, you know, that this this touches upon something that's you know, it's 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 more than this story. It's it's uh you know, there are some very wealthy Taiwanese and in general, um you know, most Taiwanese haven't seen their incomes go up uh over you know, they haven't seen wages rise in the in the past twenty years and, you know, the cost of living has gone up. People, you know, they, they have to work hard and, and they have to, you know, they have yeah. to save and be, be careful. And, you know, this guy was obviously, it, it would be different if he was, you know, driving drunk on a Friday night or something like that. But it, if, you know, he, it from what I read, it, he had only had like two or three hours of sleep. And, you know, that's, that's an unsafe way to, you, you shouldn't be operating motorized vehicles, you know, with sleep deprivation. But, uh, you know, he's trying to help his mother's business. You know, there's the filial piety angle. There's the uh, economic disparity. It's it's you know, of course, people r- regardless of uh, their their income level, uh, they they you know, they, their property is just as uh, you know, it, all property should be protected. But um, it's it's hard. It's uh, it's very understandable why in in Taiwan this would uh, this would be a story that would catch a lot of attention. Ralph. and sympathy.
1: Uh, I would echo both of comments. The income gap is something that people are talking about all the time now. Um, there's, there's some statistics to bear it out from the Ministry of Finance about how much more the wealthy earned than the poor. And this was one of those cases that just really dramatized the difference. And as Chris mentioned, there's feel piety going on there. There's the uh, I think Gavin, you mentioned he was from a. Uh, he only only lived with his mom. There's one one parent family, so um, he's he's somebody who you can easily sympathize with. My impression was he um, he uh, didn't try to contest what he did. He just went in and apologized and tried to figure out how he could get the money, which would obviously take him the rest of his life if the value of those cars is what's reported to be. So naturally, people came in, and um, my by my last check, I think 120 people had donated some sum of money usually just a couple hundred US dollar equivalent in most cases so um there's a certainly some sympathy and um it does i think it's mostly because of the the wealth gap and uh, how you can just really see this um i imp- i think that um the owners of the ferraris also have agreed to work with this guy to let him pay in installments so they're they're trying to be nice as well from what i can tell
2: yeah. I, I don't drive but I'm 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 definitely I de- I definitely feel bad for anybody that uh, has to pay for for Ferrari repair regardless of uh, their income level but you know he it sounded like he was planning on uh, going to going to university at some point in the near future and he's had to put that off um and yeah it's just it's an unfortunate situation you know I I think uh It's just uh, one of those things where there's going to be some crowdfunding that's going to maybe be a a few drops in the bucket,
0: but, yeah, wouldn't want to be in his shoes. And that's where we'll leave this week here on Taiwan This Week, and I've been joined in the studio today by Chris Horton. Thanks, Gavin. And on the telephone by Ralph Jennings. Thank you, Gavin. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.